it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 112. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to dissect a listener question that we got from Clinton. It's fantastic. He has a lot of great points in there. And Andrew and I wanted to just kind of walk through each section of those and take some time to answer those questions. And so I'm going to go ahead and start reading. So first, uh, dear Andrew, two weeks ago, I started doing some serious research on investing in the stock market. I have next to no investment slash finance background. I'm 33 years old and married, working in healthcare with my first child on the way. I came across your podcast with Dave on Spotify. And ever since I've been listening to two episodes a day from the beginning, I have a 40 minute each way commute to work. I am very intrigued by value investing. So I decided to purchase your e-letter to follow along with your $150 a month portfolio. So the first question, I'm going to spend $1,000 a month in my invest in in my invest in my personal account for the next 20 months to have around 20 positions and my wife and I will put $200 a month into the IRA account i purchased the stocks of number and number blank and blank <laughs> i i uh, bought those out cuz those are premium picks yes but those are it. picks from the e leather Okay, perfect. We'll blank that out. So I researched and thinking about investing in the small dogs of the Dow plan also at the end of the year while following your letter advice. What is your opinion on the small dogs of the Dow investment strategy? Andrew, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, first, awesome. Um, Part of that question, Clinton mentioned how he's going to take the next 20 months to slowly build a diversified portfolio. And so for anybody who's starting out, I think that's something that should really be honed in on and, and pointed out that that's a huge, huge, great first step. He, he mentioned not having a background in investment or finance and coming into this fresh. And so either through you know beginner's luck or the fact that I guess we're actually making a difference, right? And people are learning the right things to do when you start. That's, that's a huge 
win just right off the bat to to have that patience that mindset that long-term goal in mind and not trying to win it all at once so first off great start secondly the dogs small dogs of the dow investment strategy it is a pretty common one and so let's kind of break down each of those components first off you know you have the dow so what is the dow if you're an absolute beginner of the stock market you don't know what the dow is that's generally when you turn on the news and you see they're either talking about um, the S&P 500 or the Dow. And so when somebody says, oh man, the market was up three points or the market was down a percentage point, sometimes they could be talking about the Dow. Sometimes they could be talking about the S&P 500. Um, the Dow Jones historically has been kind of the index of choice and the S&P 500 is relatively newer. Um, not like in the past several years or anything, but we're talking about decades. And so the Dow is, it's, it's an older thing. And, and it's, I think if you're more sophisticated investor, somebody who's learned a little bit more about investing, you kind of understand that the Dow is more like, oh, to use a baseball analogy, it's like, um, the, the hitters who didn't used to bat flip, right? It's one of those, traditions that is dumb <laughs> i don't know what your opinion <laughs> is on that but you know it's it's uh it's like one of those old old school things that um there's actually better ways to do it now and so to give you context on how the dow is constructed um basically it's it's like the editors of the wall street journal they get together and they comprise this list and it's 30 stocks and so they'll add some stocks they'll they'll get rid of some stocks but when you think about that it's like um okay these random guys are all going to decide which are the best stocks to their defense they try to um they try to get a, a complete picture of the economy so uh they will try to make the dow represent the different industries and, and and try to include all the major ones. And so the idea is to get an index that kind of tracks the economy and kind of can give us a sense uh, if the economy is doing good or bad based on how stock prices are going. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a good thing. It's obviously been around a long time and it's just kind of like old tradition. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Um, problems with the Dow for one, the, so the way that these indexes are calculated can be different. Um, the S&P 500 is calculated through market capitalization. And so basically what that means is depending on how big a stock is, it's going to move the index more or less. So as a extreme example, a company like Apple, if they were to move 5% in one day, that's going to move the S&P 500 a lot more than one of the very small stocks in the index. Now, the Dow is calculated through price. And so what that means is a stock with the share price being higher is going to affect the index more than a stock with a low share price. And so a couple of problems with that is stocks that have really high share prices don't get included in the Dow because they would skew the Dow so much. So good examples of that right now, as we record in 2019, are the Google shares. Those are not in the Dow because they are so high. And then also the Berkshire, um, what is it, A or B shares, the one that, that's like 10,000. Is it A? Okay. Yeah, a. And whatever ridiculous share price that is, the 10,000, 100,000, whatever it is. So those are not included. And so what's interesting about that is you have you still have this wide range of stocks and this to me it's like completely random as far as these random stocks can really move the Dow a lot. So I'll give you an example. I took a a list of the Dow, the 30 stocks right now in the Dow index recording this again 2019. I see the top five based on price, Boeing, United Health, Home Depot, Goldman Sachs, and McDonald's. And then if you go on the lower side, you have, you know, to go down and, and move up, you have Pfizer at around 42, 
Intel, 49, and then Dow Incorporated, Coca-Cola, and Walgreens. And so I don't know, I can't remember if I mentioned, but like the Boeing, United Health, and Home Depot on that top bracket, those are like in the two to 300 range. So it's like if Boeing were to lose a lot in their share price tomorrow, that's going to move the Dow a lot more than if, what was the other stock I said, like Pfizer. So that's that's kind of weird, right? And it just, there's no there's no logical sense behind that, but that's just kind of the way it is. All right. So, so that's the Dow Uh, moving forward. Now there's the dogs of the Dow strategy. And this is something that I don't know how it was popularized. There might have been a book written about it that became a bestseller, or maybe it was an idea in a bestselling book. Uh, But basically the idea of it is kind of like trying to buy low and sell high. And so if you've been following the market for some length of time, then you know that as a share price goes down on a stock, their dividend yield will tend to go up. And so that's simply because it's, it's, it's math. Basically, as, as, a, as a share price goes lower, as long as the dividend's not changing, then that yield is, is going to get higher and higher. And so that can be a good strategy when you buy like we always like to say, you're buying with a margin of safety, you're buying stocks that are temporarily undervalued in the market and and temporarily hated for one reason or the other. But if it's a good business, then you can be confident that this is probably temporary and that the business, the stock price will eventually recover. And as an added bonus, you're going to get a higher yield than if you would have bought a stock that's doing well. And so, you know, there can be a lot of compounding from that. So the idea of the dogs of the Dow is to take the 10 highest yielding Dow stocks and then um, invest in those. And I'm not 100% sure on how, you know, there might be different uh, se- sectors of the religion of the dogs of the Dow. Um, you know, there might be different ideas on, on when you sell kind of a thing. That's at least the accepted practice for the buying of uh, on this strategy. and so. What the small dogs of the Dow is, is you're taking the 10 dogs of the Dow and you're buying the five smallest of that. And so that goes back to what we were talking about with the share price. So uh, basically the small dogs of the Dow, the five lowest in share price, those are going to be those. So I don't know, in my mind, it just sounds like a completely random thing. Uh, apparently, if it had... You know, if if it's a if it's a type of strategy that people are actively using, it's probably seen some success in the past. The thing I would say about any, I think this 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 kind of goes to any strategy and something that you definitely need to consider whether you're a beginner, whether you've been in the market for a while, and even as you make your own strategy and it's something you followed, you need to constantly be evaluating that and and trying not to fall into a sort of bias or a sort of incomplete data or like this false sense of confidence. So I think with any strategy, you can really find periods of time where it's done better than the market for one reason or the other. It can be completely random. It can be simply from the fact that value, I mean, even value and growth, those cycle just like the market cycles between a bear and a bull market. Um, sometimes growth stocks will do better and sometimes value stocks will do better than growth stocks depending on the year. And Toby uh, kind of talked about that a week ago, a week or two ago and did a really good job of talking about how value stocks have been underperforming growth stocks for uh, quite a while as far as recent history goes. So just because there's been some study on some time period that you know, the small dogs of the Dow worked for a period of time, or even the dogs of the Dow worked for a period of time, that alone should not be be the com- the confirmation that, yes, this is a strategy I'm going to pursue. And obviously, this is just my opinion, but I think it, it makes a lot of sense. What you want to do when you're considering the performance of a strategy is you want to look not just at one time period, but multiple time periods. There's different metrics you can use, like rolling averages are, are great ways to kind of evaluate that. But you, I guess the biggest thing is you want to look over the very, very long term and make sure that this is something that outperforms because 
it's based on on like a common sense principle and not because it's based on some luck or randomness and then at the same time to me it's important that it makes a lot of sense so something like value investing that makes a lot of sense to me especially when you talk about value investing in good businesses because i completely understand like that mr market metaphor speaks to me on a personal level like it just as soon as i heard it it just made so much sense and and you know we've talked about mr market i, I recommend going back in the archives for for really our in-depth discussion on that i think it was uh episode 20 or let me see i have a list in front of me because i am a great co-host yeah Episode 20, that when we talk about chapter A, Mr. Market, this is an idea. (laughs) I like how you caught that. This is a, you know, it's not just my idea about Mr. Market. This is something from Benjamin Graham. He's the father of value investing. He was Warren Buffett's mentor, somebody who had a lot of great ideas and a lot of great observations about the market. But basically, the stock market's a very irrational place at times. It can get very emotional. People are involved. There's so many moving parts. And so every once in a while, a stock will be either undervalued or overvalued. It would be, there would be um, a lot of hate or irrational fear towards it, or there will be just like clouds and rainbows that maybe necessarily shouldn't be there. And people turn a blind eye to what's really going on in the business. So that happens a lot. And so when you buy companies that are temporarily hated, then it makes sense that those prices should eventually revert. And then when you compare that and not compare, but when you combine that with the idea that good businesses will continue to compound capital, they're going to continue to make profits. They're going to continue to reinvest those profits to grow and make more and more and more profits. And it will kind of balloon up. Well, then that makes a lot of sense too. And now in my mind, you're kind of injecting uh, a business kind of long-term mindset with value you're injecting it with this like gross serum where instead of starting from maybe even and just kind of tracking the market the way a lot of people like to do with an index now you're maybe taking advantage of of some of the the emotions of mr market and then that because you're getting that great margin of safety then the compounding is only going to multiply as time goes on and as that business continues to thrive. So that's kind of the, the main idea of why I am a value investor. And then it makes sense to me logically, and it's something simple. Hopefully, my simple explanation I just gave you in, the, in this past 60 seconds or 60 minutes, however long it's felt for you, hopefully that's been simple enough where you're like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And so that's why I invest as I do, in addition to all the other studies and I can pull a ton of them out of my cheek bone uh, that kind of talk about value investing and why it works. So going back to the, the small dogs of the Dow, if we evaluate it on that mindset, we've already given the background and the context of how the Dow is calculated. And so since we know it's a price thing and it's these random editors on on the Wall Street Journal, no offense to them, I'm sure they're great people, um, then we know that, okay, this strategy first relies on the editors of the Wall Street Journal. I personally don't know them, so I don't know how they chose to pick these stocks. I don't know of any books they've written, right? So like the value investing people that that have made this philosophy, they've written a lot of books. And so you can learn about where the mindset of how they pick these stocks comes from. With the, with the, the Dow Jones, you don't get that. And then with the the dogs of the Dow, to me, it just sounds, yeah, I like the idea of buying stocks that have higher yields. I think in principle, that's that's a great idea. And then and, and you're trying to get that buy low. But again, like a stock could be uh, beaten down because, yeah, it's temporarily hated or maybe it's hated for a good reason. And that stock maybe eventually leaves the Dow because it does so poorly. So that part kind of makes sense but then kind of doesn't and then you have this third aspect which is the small dog just because the price is lower we're going to buy those instead and it's like okay maybe that makes sense because those aren't going to affect the dow as much right because the dow moves based on price that's the only reasoning i can think behind why they add that extra component to the dogs of the dow but in my mind again it's such a 
it's it's just it's it's such an abstract thought that doesn't make any sense from a business perspective. And so that's why I don't think it's a valid strategy. Maybe I shouldn't say it's not I don't think it's a valid strategy, but I think it's not it's suboptimal in my mind because it has some of those obvious flaws. I would agree with that. And to kind of throw out, you know, just to illustrate a little bit what Andrew was talking about, the the five bottom companies, if you're looking at this, would be Coca-Cola, JP Morgan Chase, Procter and Gamble, Cisco Systems, and Merkin Company. So they all pay pretty good dividends, which is great. But I know right off the bat that Coca-Cola is overvalued. And JP Morgan is bordering on overvalued. Procter and Gamble, I know nothing about Cisco, nothing, and Merkin Company, nothing. But I think to kind of tag off of what Andrew was saying, it to just kind of beat into the the strategy about a, a little bit is that if you're basing it just based on taking the top companies and then taking the bottom of that, or taking the bottom companies and just basing it on that, you're you're ignoring all the principles of value investing. You're not looking for bargains. You're not looking for something that is being sold at a discount to its intrinsic value. You're not looking for a margin of safety and you're just basing it on what somebody else has determined is the top or the bottom of the Dow. And that is, could, could be dangerous. Uh, if you're throwing a lot of money into something like Coca-Cola which is a great company and it pays a nice dividend, but it's overpriced. And so realistically, is it, can you expect it to continue to go up? No, you really can't. And throw, you know, take, taking a look at the other companies, it, it might fall into the same category. And so you're, you're just kind of setting yourself up for you're, you're putting your money where your opinion doesn't really matter. And, basing it on just what somebody else is deciding for you. It's kind of like those articles that you see all the time on the internet when you're trying to learn how to invest. You know, here are the 10 best dividends paying stocks for 2018, or here are five stocks that you should invest in for your kids for life. You know, those kinds of things, because those are very short snippets about a company that gets try to get you all excited about possibly investing in that company when you really don't know anything about it. And that's always a dangerous place to be. And I guess any circumstance like that is is something that I always try to avoid uh, just for the sheer fact of what everything that Andrew just illustrated about Mr. Market, the, the company being beaten down, the reason it's being beaten down, it could be very valid. And there's just so many unknowns about diving into something like that without actually knowing what you're investing in. And that's what Andrew and I have tried to preach about over the last 112 episodes is talking about investing with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. And when you ignore that, you ignore Warren Buffett's prime directive, number one, don't lose money. Don't forget rule number one, don't lose money. So that's you put all that in danger when you, when you follow these kinds of ideas. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where Hims can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms. No more awkward conversations. Just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash investing. 
Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, that's, I didn't even think of that. That's that's brilliant too, yeah. You're completely giving control away about anything about you becoming a better investor or making mm-hmm some sort of decision it's like well i'm just going to follow this until it sinks mm-hmm. yep. yep so exactly. let's move on to the next part of his question um okay he's got a lot of good um questions within this email he sent us so yeah. he asks i'm wondering and this 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 could be a fun discussion i'm wondering if it is more lucrative to sell a stock if the price rises significantly and will outpace dividend payments for a lengthy period of time and then reinvest it when the stock either falls depending on timing and the cyclical nature of the market and or to reinvest them according to what I'm choosing that month or should I hold on to the stock for the dividends no matter if it rises? I think. Um, so I guess I my thought is Write it till you can't write it anymore. <laughs> um, I, you know, when I'm looking for a company to invest in, I'm looking at something that I want to own forever, or at least as long as I can. And so I'm looking at trying to generate income from two places. One, the increase in the price versus what I paid as well as the dividend payouts over a long period of time. And we've talked before about that and the power of compounding and how great an ally it is for you. And the longer that you own the company and the more that you reinvest those dividends, the more stock you own of that particular company and just on and on it goes. And when you sell out of the company, all of a sudden that all stops. And it really depends on your comfort level, 
But if I had, if I bought a company that I really believed in and I thought that the company still was doing a good job 15 or 20 years from now, uh, and I guess why would I not continue to invest in the company? Uh, if the, the whole thesis of why I bought the company to begin with is still valid, Five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, then I'm staying with a company, uh, irregardless of how much the stock is. You know, let's say I bought it at 20 bucks and all of a sudden it's at 175. Well, I'm going to keep it. And I guess the other thing to, to kind of throw out there too is whenever you do sell it, you're going to have to deal with Mr. Taxman. So those are all things you have to think about versus just the profits that you're going to make from the company. What other impact is it going to have on my tax liability and or any sort of investment philosophy that I have as well as, you know, the cutting off of that gift horse in the mouth, so to speak. So I guess for me, simply, I guess I would stick with the stock and continue to ride that baby as long as I can. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. So those are great points. And I... I do understand the argument against that. So first, you can't really avoid the whole tax issue. So that could be a design factor on its own. But let's take the hypothetical that this is in like a Roth, for example, where um, you're in this tax advantage account and so you can sell and you're not going to get taxed because it's a Roth. Even if that was the case, you have to consider that some stocks just won't ever fall. So I guess first let's 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 think about Clinton's side. Let's be fair with the discussion. The idea is you're gonna you're basically going to take advantage of the fact that maybe a, a stock is overvalued now. And so, you know, just as we talked about how the market can be irrational on the pessimistic side, it can also be irrational on the optimistic side. And so a lot of value investing strategies and good value investors, they will try to capture that. And so not only are they going to capture it on the buy side, they can capture it on the on the on the sell side too. And I I think that that could be a fantastic strategy for you if it fits with your personality, your philosophy, and the way that you are buying and selling stocks. So it makes sense from from the viewpoint that we are going to take advantage of something that's overvalued. And then we still like the company. We still like the fact that there are you know, good dividends. And we like everything about the company. We just don't like how the market is giving us this free cash. So we're just going to take it. And then you're, you're going to go back in when, once the market inevitably kind of goes, turn, turns the other way towards it. And, and I get that. And so you're kind of like trying to maximize the compounding from it. The problem with that is one, you, you risk, I just mentioned this, you risk the possibility of a stock that actually will never fall. And there's been plenty of stocks to, to kind of show that that's happened. And I'm willing to bet, maybe I shouldn't say I'm willing to bet, but I, I speculate that there's that the, the missed reward from even just one stock that you sold it because it's overvalued and it continued to get overvalued until, you know, let's say you missed out on all of those potential gains because you were waiting for it to fall. But then let's say you have like five other stocks where you you sold and then the stock fell. So then you bought it. And so you actually captured a profit doing that. Like you, you kind of optimized your return in a way. I'm willing to bet that that one huge winner would be would more than offset all of the the small wins that you picked up by by selling and then waiting for a stock to fall. Like that opportunity loss, that that money that you could have made that you didn't would more than outpace the the extra kind of percentage points you're taking by by um by doing what we're discussing here. Like imagine if you had just happened to pick like Walmart for example. Walmart's a great example of a of a stock where even back in the late 80s and early 90s it was for a time a good you know it had a, a great dividend and i think there were time periods in there where the, the value metrics were decent and it would have been one of those stocks where if you would have sold it when it was overvalued it, you would have seen it keep rising and that would have that would have hurt really bad 
Uh, one great quote that I've heard over and over again is the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. So that's kind of a quote to talk about short selling, but it can also apply to stocks that you own and, and an overvalued stock can be overvalued for years and years and years. And so you just kind of never know, well, when's the exact overvaluation point that I want to sell and really maximize this profit? It's just really hard to say. So that's, I guess, the first part that's tough about it. The, I guess, second major component to this that I, I wanted to discuss too is, so I, I, I get the the idea that you don't want to reinvest dividends into a stock that's overvalued. Like that makes sense. Uh, and, and we're going to touch briefly on this in, in the next section, but that's kind of another beast on its own. So the problem I have is I don't c- kind of to Dave's point earlier, I don't like the idea of punishing a company because it's doing well. You know, it's like you're buying part ownership in the business and you're going to get rid of the business because it's creating so many profits that it's driving the stock price higher. That doesn't fundamentally make sense when you step back. And I'm not trying to say that I don't make the mistake. Like I, I do kind of sell out of positions sometimes, which probably isn't the best idea. But I think on a broader standpoint and trying to have a mindset in place, I think actively trying to optimize for these returns too aggressively can really shoot yourself in the foot. So when when I go bring it back to this idea, well, I'm going to punish the stock for doing so well. There, it's just like the case studies that I've seen on stocks that all you had to do was simply buy it and then let the company compound and let it grow over time. Um, those numbers are so huge that it's hard to ignore. So I really, really, I understand like. You know, many of us are, at least I listen to podcasts in the car sometimes when I'm busy doing something. So it's very rare that I listen to a podcast in front of a computer. But I would highly recommend if you ever get the chance and you haven't done this yet to just take a simple dividend reinvestment calculator. There's, there's one that comes to mind that I like to use, but even like a lot of the investor relation websites. So like stocks that have done really well historically. Coca-Cola is a great example. Procter & Gamble is a great example. Actually, many of the stocks in the Dow <laughs> are great examples <laughs> of, of stocks that are that have gotten so successful uh, because of what they've done over the past 25, 30 years, which ironically might make them not as great investments now because all those gains have been realized. But if you just go on one of those investor relation websites and you click in there, and a lot of them will have this calculator. It says... If I had invested a thousand dollars into Coca-Cola stock back in, and then you can pick the year 1990, 1988, 1987, and you can say, if I invested a $1,000, if I invested $10,000, and then you just hit that button and it calculates exactly how much those returns would have been, that gives you a really huge picture on why I get so excited about dividends and dividend reinvestment. You start to see that, wow. Uh, we're talking about multiples, you know, factors, factors of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, or higher uh, of this money just absolutely exploding, and so that happens even with what what would what you would call suboptimal reinvestment. Like, yeah, I get I get the idea that man, um, I'm I, I have however much money in these dividends. And I'm going to put them in another stock that's so much cheaper. It has such a great, such such a so much better margin of safety. The dividend yields higher, on and on and on and on. But the reality of it is, is when you think about the business world, there's no way for us to predict which business will take off. And so, really, by 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 having a great investment and trying to over optimize it, or trying to maybe redirect the dividends you run into the risk of killing your best money cow. And so I really uh, want to encourage going on on a tool like that 
and and just seeing for yourself how big the numbers can be. I mean, there's obviously there's no guarantee that any one of your investments will be that way. And I'm not trying to say that all of your investments will be that way. But if you just think from that standpoint, then uh, it doesn't justify taking $1,000 and putting it into a super overvalued stock. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that um, as these dividends increase, you can be confident with your dividends reinvesting in in an overpriced stock because you know that like the vast majority of your capital was invested with a margin of safety, and so like you're getting that that part of it set up. But I really think that trying to you know do things like selling when when the price is too high and selling just to reinvest. Like I would sell uh, on the stock that is overvalued if I did not feel great about the future of the business anymore. And that doesn't even need to be like, okay, um, you know, the, the business, like, like I'm, this is something I actually have on the spreadsheet to remind myself all the time. Like before you think about selling to, to over-optimize some gains, like really consider that if a stock, if you're selling just because a stock is overvalued, that's not a good reason to sell. I would also want to sell because, I really, there's something there. There's there's a huge fundamental reason that I don't feel great about the long term part of this business, whether that's qualitative or quantitative, whatever that is. And I feel like that needs to be a second factor on top of selling on an overvaluation. And so, if that was the case, then you wouldn't, you would not buy into that stock when it fell because it's not something you want to hold long term. And so that's something that I would really keep in mind. And I guess I'm getting a little bit on a tangent, but really, 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 if I can hammer in one point, it's really try to look at some how some of these huge uh, winners have been in the stock market and just how powerful those dividends have been. And it just feels so minuscule, right? Just little little dividends, 1% even, uh, 1.5%. But over time, as, as your pile of shares and your ownership grows, um, those little dividends add up to a lot, especially when you talk about 10 to 20 years. And then if you factor in the fact that a company like Walmart goes from, I don't know, 10 to 20 stores to like 400 stores across the country, and now their profits are so much higher and their dividends are so much higher than when you initially bought it, and you've just been silently collecting those dividends and, and watching your piles of shares grow over time that's going to make huge huge impacts to your to your total performance and it could just be one it could just you could just need one stock to to be that like if i think of buffett i think of coca-cola and then like geico because i think that was something he bought when it was public and now they they own the whole thing but he 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 could he would probably say like coca-cola and and maybe there's one other company that i'm not aware of but there, there can be these this single company that really drives the vast majority of your returns, and so by trying to over optimize, I think you're really just nipping yourself in the bud, and and that that huge pile of money is you're just you're cutting it at the branches and not letting it grow to its full potential, and that could really really hurt in the long term. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Excellent. That was those are great points. All right, let's move on to the next one. This is for the drip king. So, I heard Ben Reynolds on your podcast mention that sometimes he likes to ignore drips on his accounts and reinvest them personally due to the possibility of his stocks being overpriced. I plan on doing this with my taxable investment account because the dividends will be taxed either way. But we'll leave all of the IRA stocks with drip active because of them being non-taxable. Do you have any opinion on this matter? I'm sure he does. Let's, <laughs> let's listen. <laughs> well, I just talked about most of that in, in this previous section, right? This whole idea of don't nip it in the bud and let it grow. Mm-hmm. So that's one problem with it. The second problem I see is um, this would be good if you have a ton of money, right? Um, I guess it doesn't need to be a ton of money, but enough money where, you're getting enough in dividends to be able to buy full shares with it. So I'm not going to do the math at the moment, but you know maybe you're getting like 
these quarterly dividends of like at least $100. So I don't know how much you'd have to invest to do that. And so when you're talking about people with, um, you know, I, I try to really encourage people, even if you don't have a lot of money to invest. And so that's not even going to be applicable to people in that situation. But if you are in that situation, it can work. Yet I worry about that whole thing that I just puked about. And so that's why, that's why, yeah, I get it. It makes sense. It's a very value investing type approach, but I'm not a hundred percent value investor. You know, I, I'm a huge dividend investor as well. So that's why I guess you call me the drip king. It is why <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So moving on to the last part of the question. Uh, I have read your ebook and have just started reading what works on Wall Street. I have ambitions to read Peter Lynch's One Up on Wall Street and Beating the Street, as well as The Intelligent Investor by Graham and A Random Walk Down Wall Street by Malkiel. Also, do you know of any literature that would explain to me how to better determine the intrinsic value or how to value a company? I'm only Googling it at the moment and getting mixed results. Andrew, what are your thoughts? How about we wrap it? Well, how about we go back and forth like a tennis match and <laughs> give one book and then you give a book, I'll give a book. Okay. Since it is around the time of Wilmington, right? What do they call yeah. it? Wimbledon. Wimbledon. <laughs> I'm so cultured. Okay. <laughs> the first one that pops in my mind, you laughed a little too hard there, buddy. <laughs> All right. The first one that pops in my mind, um, the Warren Buffett way by Robert Hagstrom, I think is a great way to get insight on how Warren Buffett looks at the intrinsic value of a company. So Buffett has never said publicly how he exactly calculates the intrinsic value. He, he's, he has said it's not like some algorithm, but he has given kind of hints and little droppings of kind of what type of equations he tends to favor. And so there's, like a, a, a DCF type of um, calculation he uses, he uses owner's earnings and good timing. Somebody I know just recently wrote a post about both of those things. Um, so that would be a good read, <laughs> Dave. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just a great book. And he, he talks about some of that. He talks about how Buffett, kind of makes his discount rate, like what discount rate he uses for his DCF. Um, so it's, it's a general thing, but it's, I think it's a good, it's not, I, I don't think any one of these books we're going to mention is going to be your personal way to determine intrinsic value. I think that's something you should figure out for yourself, but I think that's one of the tools that would be valuable to you and a good book to read. And it's an easy book to read. It talks about a lot of the different stocks that Buffett has had success with, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a great book. Uh, I guess my my choice on this round would be uh, any of Buffett's shareholder letters to the um, or letters to the shareholders. Uh, you can start back with his uh, early ones in the '60s and work your all the way up to current present day. Uh, those are fantastic resources. He talks a lot about all his different viewpoints on investing and. Yeah, like Andrew said, he doesn't ever specifically say this is how you find the intrinsic value of a company, but he certainly hints at a lot of different ways of doing it. And he talks a lot about margin of safety. He talks a lot about uh, just general investing principles, and he's they're also easy to read. He's got a great sense of humor, and he's good at uh, just explaining things in a way that we mere peasants can can understand. And I, I'm a strong believer in reading as much as you can about him and what his viewpoints are because uh, he's he's a great teacher as well. So that would be, I guess, my choice on that. Yeah, Back like to you, that. Andrew. <laughs> All right, my turn. I really like... Um, I don't know why I'm having trouble thinking of the exact name. Oh, The Little Book of sideways markets written by Vitaly. Uh, the little book series is awesome. There's just a ton of great authors who have written different, really short little books. They're super easy to read and consume um, all about different kind of slivers of investing. 
I like there's one chapter in that book. We had Vitaly on, so if you want to um go back in the archives, you can listen to our interview. Vitaly is super intelligent. It was a fun conversation. Yeah. He has a little chapter in there where it's also kind of keeping to that DCF, which is discounted cash flow, keeping to that theme. He has a chapter where he does like a super simple explanation, like uh, say a farmer has a cow and this is how he determines what the value of it is, the intrinsic value of it. And there's a little aspect of Mr. Market in there. And for me, that was very helpful in learning DCF. I, I don't use a DCF personally when it comes to intrinsic value. I know a lot of people do. Dave, I think you do a little bit. Do, um, yeah. But uh, super valuable to learn and, and another great tool to help you look at values of companies. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic book. And yeah, he's a brilliant guy. Uh, anything you can read by him is going to be well worth your time. Uh, the book that I really like and I think would be a great recommendation for you would be The Dondo Investor by Monish Prabhai. Uh, he talks a lot about value investing, margin of safety. Uh, his, his big phrase is, heads I win, tails I don't lose that much. And he also talks a lot about intrinsic value and he gives some examples in there on how he calculates it and he again uses a modification of a discounted cash flow but he also talks about ranges of values he's looking for uh one of the things that i'll throw at you about intrinsic value is people sometimes get fixated on finding the perfect price and Buffett talks about this a little bit, as does Monish. It does pretty much anybody that has experience with working with this. You can't ever find the exact perfect price. It's more about finding a range of prices that you think are logical and possible with the company. Because after all, when we're investing in a company, we're buying shares of that company, but we're also dealing with Mr. Market and all the crazy people out there that are buying and selling the company based on their emotions and their whims as opposed to cold hard facts. And so when you're dealing with that, you're never going to get the exact number of, hey, this stock is worth $72.51. It, it doesn't work that way. And that's why we always try to invest with a margin of safety, the emphasis on the safety, because when we're doing any sort of math or any sort of calculations, any sort of intrinsic value that you calculate is always going to have guesstimates in there. There's never going to be a precise, I know exactly how much growth this company is going to have because none of us can see into the future. You know, I am never going to be able to determine exactly how much dividend yield this company is going to give off next year because we don't know. And so when you calculate these formulas that you're going to learn from reading these books and these papers that we're talking about, you're going to look for estimates and you're going to have to learn to, you'll learn as you do more and more of them, just like anything else, that you'll learn that, hey, I came up with this price based on this growth number or this valuation came based on you know, this dividend yield. And if those are wrong and you don't have a margin of safety in there, it could really burn you. But when you're looking for um, a company to buy and you have that margin of safety, it's going to help you give you comfort that, hey, if I'm off a little bit, it's not that big of a deal. And even if you are off $2, it's not that big of a deal. And uh, people sometimes get all so focused on it's got to be exact. It doesn't have to be exact. As long as you've made good judgments and good assessments based on the principles that you believe in and understand, then you're always going to be in a ballpark and then you can make a decision from there. Whether you want to investigate the company more, whether it's something you're like, eh, no, that's way overpriced. I'm not going to buy that right now. Uh, you, know, you just you just don't know. So, But these are all things that you'll learn with experience for sure. That was perfect because while like the first two books we mentioned, first two or three, they give you like uh, to your point, like a kind of more definite, but really intrinsic value needs to be a range and you got to be careful with that. So those are, that's a good book to pair with, with one mm -hmm. of one of the other ones we said, I um, just would say like the uh, Clinton talked about how he's going to read. Uh, I'm going to point out beating the street by Peter Lynch and the intelligent investor by Benjamin Graham. Those both also have, I guess, not like 
specific intrinsic value. But for me, that was helpful as somebody being like absolutely green to give some context on like a stock market metric. So Peter Lynch in particular, he talks about how he uses a low price to earnings PE ratio. Uh, The intelligent investor is where Ben Graham kind of introduced a low price to book ratio in combination with a price to earnings PE ratio. So for me starting out, and I don't know how's how the case is for other people, but I can only imagine that maybe some of those books that we mentioned would be like a fire hose. Whereas particularly being the street and Peter Lynch from Peter Lynch and intelligent investor by Benjamin Graham, those were the ones that I started with. And those were like so perfect for me to kind of walk me through um, and, and give me just enough without overwhelming me. So the fact that you're going to, to read those, I think is great. And I would very, very much so highlight those. Uh, and I can't not pitch my book. I have <laughs> the way I buy stocks. I don't value a stock uh, to its exact dollar amount, but I do have my own formula for telling myself if a stock is overvalued or fairly valued or undervalued. So that's called value trap indicator. And um, I'm sure you heard me talk about it multiple times too. But yeah, that's 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 the path I would hopefully push you towards. And then picking either of the books that Dave and I mentioned would be good too once once you have a good grasp on some of the basics with the stock market. Yep, I would agree with that. And Andrew's book is a fantastic resource to help you understand kind of where he's coming from and taking all the things that he's absorbed and really kind of um, adapting them into a great idea and a great philosophy of how you can look at stocks and value them based on the different metrics that are available to all of us. And it's a great resource. I I learned a ton from reading it as well. Uh, Another book that I would want to throw out there, it's not necessarily a book, but more, uh, I guess, his old collected works would be anything from Professor Damodaran. Um, As with Damodaran is a a teacher at, well, he was a teacher at uh, Columbia School for Business. And uh, I'm sorry, no, New York Stern, my bad. (laughs) Uh, New York Stern. And he was, he is considered probably the foremost teacher on intrinsic value and valuing companies. He has a fantastic blog uh, that he writes on a pretty regular basis. He has a zillion different YouTube videos on just about any sort of idea you might have about how do I invest and how do I learn how to start calculating intrinsic value. I learned a ton from him. And I'm the kind of person that likes to look at a formula and reverse engineer it. And by that, I mean, I see how it's calculated. And then I start going back and picking apart apart the different parts and go, where did this come from? Where did this come from? Where did this come from? And that's how I learn. And not everybody's like that. You know, some people are way better at math than I am and they can just sit down and go, Oh yeah, that all makes sense. And you know, as somebody that is self-taught, I had to teach myself where some of these numbers were coming from. And that's what I really like about his stuff is he explains all that. And it, he goes in very, very much in depth. He can be very technical. And if that's something that's up your alley, man, you, you'll hit a home run with him. Uh, if it's not, if being that technical is not your thing, then you can always, you know, look at some of the stuff that I've done. I've, I've written a lot about intrinsic value uh, with the Ben Graham formula, as well as discounted cash flows as well as dividend discount models and and using those different ways of of trying to find intrinsic value of companies hopefully i've been able to dumb it down enough so that uh, people that are newer can understand how to do some of these things the math in and of themselves is not hard it's basically just adding subtracting and a little multiplication and division the the bigger challenge usually is trying to find where the numbers are and trying to fight figure out what estimates do i actually use and that's one of the things that i try really hard when i'm writing is to try to show you where those things come from so that you can kind of do your own reverse engineering and figure this out for yourself so i think you know all those things would be things that i would definitely recommend that would be hopefully helpful to you yeah i agree with all that um I've listened to Damodoran, a couple of his lectures that he posts completely for free. 
uh, on YouTube, and those have been fantastic. He's like probably the most popular professor on YouTube. Like just like yeah. strictly his, literally his lecture yeah. in, in right. that Stern course is online. It was just a ton of views, and then uh, yeah, your your stuff's great too. Um, you've done several articles on my blog, and you also have your blog at Intrinsic Value, intrinsicvalueformula.com, which is a great resource too. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for today. I want to thank Quentin for sending in this fantastic question. Uh, he had some great different points for us to kind of talk about and dissect. And I hope that he got a lot of good info out of that and as well as all of our other listeners. And if you guys have any other great questions for us, any questions at all, please let us know. We're here to help. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all later. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.